ladies and gentlemen, the Brit Pack is back. Simon Head from Rochester in the UK. Shamat Karsandu from Toronto in Canada. And if you can hear a little bit of background noise on this week's podcast, it is because the sun is shining here in the UK. It is stinking hot. My kids are outside making all manner of racket in the back garden. So apologies for the uh, the ambient noise in the background. But it's it's been an amazing weekend. It's been a lovely weekend, Sandu. We had we had the Euros obviously a couple of weeks ago. It all came to a crescendo, and then it came crashing down in the final. This weekend was the British Grand Prix, and Lewis Hamilton, and uh, unbelievable. Anyone who likes their motorsport will know what happened in that race. Uh, it came together with Max Verstappen on the first corner. Verstappen goes off at like 170 miles an hour. Thankfully, he's okay. They give him, they give Hamilton a 10-second penalty. He serves his 10-second 10 10-second 10 penalty, cuts through the field, and passes Charles Leclerc with three laps to go to win the British Grand Prix. And 140,000 people at Silverstone went absolutely potty, as did one member of the Brit Pack in his living room. It was absolutely incredible. I've been drinking beer. I've been chilling out. I've had my feet up. And we've had fights this weekend. It doesn't get better than this, Sandu. This is lovely stuff. Yeah, I, I loved it too. I, I always, uh, my Sundays are my favorites these days because I don't typically watch F1 live. I have it recorded. I avoid spoilers on social media. And then oh, I kind of just. Sorry about that. Make my, I make, <laughs> well, that's all right. I've already watched it, Simon. We're recording on a Monday. Thank goodness for that. <laughs> um, so, yeah, my usual Sunday routine is to, to have a lion, make a bit of brunch. And then stick on the F1, um, and, and I and I loved it. Just so happy for Lewis Hamilton. It was such a, you know, the high drama is the best way of describing it because that first lap, the duel between him and Verstappen was just insane. Unfortunate circumstances with how how it ended, but the way Lewis Hamilton was able to, to claw back with that ten second penalty, and again, it was almost like a. A, a, a book-ended race wasn't it it was all about the first couple of laps and then obviously the final few laps but yeah really great good you know i guess uh, the best way of describing it is a feel-good factor for for the british fans and especially british sports fans and obviously you talked about england crashing out of the euros in the final and here we are you know a week later and celebrating lewis hampton winning the british grand prix and he is back in contention for the championship once again and also Mercedes are now just four points behind Red Bull, so game on. It's mad. It's absolutely mad. And the other big thing about this weekend and the British Grand Prix is the fans were back. And we're starting to see that. We're recording this on Monday, July the 19th, which has been rather hilariously dubbed Freedom Day here in the UK, where basically all of the social distancing restrictions are being lifted. People are now swarming around without masks on, which I think, you know, it's their choice. I'm st- I went out to the shops today and I'm still wearing mine when I go into congested places. I think I think there's no problem doing that. But people are going about their daily business with a little bit more freedom. Um, and uh, sport- sporting events are starting to see uh, fans come back as well. The British GP was one of the test events that allowed fans in. And uh, sport is nothing without the fans. We've seen how well MMA has coped without fans during the pandemic. But when the fans came back, oh my goodness, you really see the difference. And uh, I know you cover, as well as covering the MMA side of things for, for BT Sport on the socials, you also do the WWE, Sandu. 
and the fans are back in force with the WWE. And it sounds like this weekend in particular was a real, almost like a watershed moment, not just for having fans back, but also for you guys at BT um, doing your coverage because it's kind of a kind of a new thing covering the WWE with full crowds back in, in in the building. Yeah, when the broadcast deal first kicked off, the fans were there, but then the pandemic hit. You know what, March ish, February March of of twenty twenty, yeah. and obviously then the fans went away. And for the for the vast majority of this deal, it's been Thunderdome, no fans, and and all the rest of it. And so, you know, during that time, we've obviously as a team put all of our reps in. We kind of know how to work our our social media handles. We've got a good you know rhythm and flow going, but to have the fans back. Smackdown on Friday was incredible. Money in the Bank on Sunday just leveled things up even further because John Cena, one of the big guns, is back. And that's the crazy thing. It's like, whilst this BT Sport deal has been fantastic for everyone, we've not had John Cena back, Becky Lynch, Brock Lesnar, you know, all the big guns. And, you know, there's rumors of you know, a few of the others coming back. SummerSlam is around the corner at Allegiant Stadium which is going to be the first stadium SummerSlam since Wembley in 1992. That's going to be epic. And it was just a fun weekend time. I'm not going to lie. Like These are the shifts that I absolutely live for. Smackdown on Friday, Money in the Bank on Sunday, and Sandwich in the middle of that was a really fun UFC shift for me personally. I know a lot of people were a little bit down on this card and perhaps – a lot of fans would have just maybe recorded it, seen some social highlights or caught up with it on Sunday. But for me, eight out of the 10 fights ended in a finish. There was a good pace about it. Some good storylines going in and going coming out. I had a great time this weekend. Not going to lie. I loved it. It was a busy one. It was a busy one for me as well. I was on uh, Bellator duty for BBC on Friday night. So let me just mark your card with what happened uh, over at the Mohegan Sun in Uncasville, Connecticut. Uh, Juliana Velasquez took on Denise Kielholz in a women's flyweight title fight. Velasquez won the belt from Alima Lay McFarlane earlier this year. This was her first title defence. And I'll be honest with you, Sandu, I thought she lost this fight. Denise Kielholz, I thought, was outstanding. Constantly blitzing in and out, multi, uh, multi-punch combinations. And I thought she gave Velasquez plenty of problems all the way through the five-round fight. Velasquez, much more slow and methodical, working behind her southpaw jab, which she had plenty of success with. But I just thought that Kielholz's intensity, uh, her overall strike output was definitely higher. So when it got to the end, I thought Kielholz had done enough to win three of the five rounds. I think I gave her the first round and then the fourth and the fifth, if I remember rightly. Um, But the judges were split. And it was Juliana Velasquez who retained her belt via split decision. 48-47, 47-48, 48-47. But a really, really good advert for the Bellator women's flyweight division. Superb fight. You've got Alima Lay McFarlane coming back. Um, You've got, um, oh, crikey, Gorilla, Liz Carmouche waiting for her title shot as well at 125 pounds. She's in great form. So between the four of them, you could almost run a mini tournament uh, at £125 for the women's belt. And uh, the belt may change hands a few times, I think, among those four. So that was a really entertaining fight, even though it went the distance. The other three uh, main card fights that were worth keeping an eye on, Tyrell Fortune beat Matt uh, Matt Mitrione by first round TKO. 
Matthias Matos defeated CJ Hamilton via second round TKO. He looks like he could be a real a real problem at 135 in Bellator. Uh, I think his only defeats came uh, recent defeats came to Pidi Yan and Magomed Magomedov, uh, and they are arguably uh, one and two, or certainly two of the top five bantamweights on the planet. So um, to to be losing to only those two guys uh, is, is is pretty impressive. Arlene Blanco, two time women's featherweight title challenger, uh, she's still in the mix. She claimed a really Impressive third round TKO win over Dinah Silva. Um, and the main card kicked off with Johnny Eblen, who uh, might not be a household name yet, but he's certainly working his way up those middleweight rankings. I think he's fifth right now in the Bellator middleweight rankings. He got a landslide unanimous decision win uh, in the main card opener. So it was a decent fight night. I looked at the fights on paper and I wondered, I wondered just what we were going to get, Sandu, but it turned out to be a really, really fun night of fights. And that obviously carried over into into Saturday with the UFC. It was really good. Aren't, isn't it always the case most of the time when a lot of fight cards, you see them on paper and you think, well, maybe I'll tune in for the main event or the top two fights. And then all of a sudden, you know, these fights deliver. And at the end of the day, fans want finishes. People want finishes. And it's an opportunity for fighters to make a name for themselves to make a statement, you know, these are the, the cards where you start to see some of the prospects and you can start to, you know, follow their journey from early on. And um, in the case of, obviously, Saturday's UFC card, you know, we had that in addition to an epic comeback from Misha Cupcake Tate. So I guess we should talk about the UFC card sign because I guess that was uh, the biggest talking point from this weekend's mixed martial arts action. Yeah, it was... It was... I, I said to you leading in um, to this weekend that I was a bit surprised that Misha was coming back on a card like this and not on a pay-per-view card. But it was really interesting to hear her leading up to fight night um, because she said that this was perfect for her, coming in on a, on a fight night card, no crowd, at the apex, not having to deal with the massive uh, media scrum of being on a, on a Conor McGregor pay-per-view because you can bet she would have had a whole load of attention from the, uh, from the media had she been on that card. She's kind of been able to sort of just go about her business, work everything out for a, for a comeback fight. And I mean, if you were writing down on paper what you wanted to achieve uh, for a comeback fight in the UFC, four and a half years away against uh, a former contender who has never been finished i think this is pretty much what misha would have wanted she would have wanted to get some rounds under the belt show that she's got the cardio have a bit of opportunity to showcase her her skill her toughness but then get that finish and that's what she did i thought it was it was almost a perfect night for her and then she nailed it with the uh, the post-fight interview as well we love talking about a post-fight interview sandu and i thought uh, i thought she she nailed that as well uh, i'm not just here for a fight I'm here for the belt. I thought that was a. I thought it was a very nice little soundbite to give everybody. And uh, Cupcake's back. Cupcake is back, and I'm I'm excited to see just what the UFC does with her next. Will it be Holly Holm? Will it be the rematch? Or might they just chuck her straight in there with Amanda Nunes? I mean, what do you reckon? Well, first of all, Simon, she ticked all the boxes. I mean, talk about everything that you just mentioned: rounds, a finish over opponent that hasn't been a finish for her personally. The fight was in Vegas. Um, which is basically her hometown. So she didn't have to go anywhere far away from her kids or anything like that. 
and she was able to obviously get back in the win column because the last time we saw her at UFC 205, she lost. So just to have that winning feeling probably has done wonders for her as well. Got her mojo back. She's full of confidence now. And I think personally, Simon, the next time we see her has to be a pay-per-view. She is a draw. She is an attraction. You have to put her on a main card. Now, does she fight for the title now? That's a great question. And there's a few ways to look at it, Simon. I think from a promotional point of view, it's very easy to stick her in there with Amanda Nunes next. It's a rematch. It's a built-in story. She's a draw. Amanda Nunes is just going through the entire roster one by one. At the same time, though, perhaps Misha Tate needs just a little bit of a step up in competition to get ready for an Amanda Nunes. And she talked about the, the idea of having a rematch with Holly Holm. I was at UFC 196 when she, she finished Holly Holm in dramatic fashion late in the fifth round. Um, it doesn't get any better than that, but that could, hide, uh, that could main event a fight night card. That could be you know slotted in there as a part of a pay-per-view main card offering. The good thing about Misha Tate right now, Simon, I think she has options. She's in good stead with the promotion. The fans loved seeing a comeback. If, if that performance and if that fight was, say, for example, a week prior, you know, at the T-Mobile Arena on the Conor McGregor card, the play sort of exploded. So it's, it's all, you know, the fact that she did it in the apex, probably good for her. She was happy with that decision. But yeah, next time it's got to be in front of fans. It's got to be um, a much bigger deal. And it's pretty wild that we can get excited about another Misha Tate run, Misha Tate 2.0, at the at the age of 36, after a five-year absence from the sport. It's honestly, that for me is one of the leading contenders for feel-good moment of the year, right up alongside Brandon Moreno winning the UFC Flyweight Championship. So yeah, all round, absolutely made for Misha Tate. She is really one of the the good people in this sport, and the sport is better when Misha Tate is involved. So I'm absolutely buzzing to see what she does next. Yeah. And, you know, she's, she's been away from the cage, but she hasn't been away from the sport. She's been, she's been, uh, she's carved out a successful career as a, as a radio broadcaster on Sirius XM stateside, uh, doing a really good job there. She's done some desk work um, covering events. She then went over to one championship, spent some time in Singapore uh, as vice president, as one of the vice presidents over there, uh, trying to raise the profiles, uh, particularly of female athletes over there. And I know she's held in huge regard on that side of things. So for her to come back after so long away and to look as good as she did, I think was, I mean, you couldn't ask for any more than that to be away for four and a half years or more than four and a half years. And to look that good was, uh, was, was, was really quite something. And, um, I think if you're looking from a building her up point of view, the Holly home fight makes a whole load of sense. But the UFC have been in, in these sorts of positions before and they've made these fights thinking we can build up to a certain title fight and things don't go the way that are you know expected. So if you want to make the Misha Tate-Amanda Nunes rematch, then the best thing to do is to just book the damn thing because she goes in there with Holly... Holly's been training constantly all the, all the while Misha's been out. And Holly is a world champion caliber athlete. Uh, Marion Renault 
is is a is a very very talented fighter, but Holly Holm is another level above Marion with all respect to Marion. So, and she's training and she's been training constantly and evolving and improving. So, it is not. I mean, if you if you put them both in the cage tomorrow, I think the bookies would probably have Holly as the favourite. I would imagine so. Um, for just from a from activity standpoint. I think I think that that would be the common sense thing, and also if you look at their past meeting, Holly was dominating that fight. Holly was dominating most of that fight. I was cage side at UFC 196, one of the maddest events I've ever attended live. That was the uh, Nate Diaz submitting Conor McGregor in the main event, uh, and the whole I'm not surprised. But before that, we had this: we had uh, Misha Tate dramatically submitting uh, Holly home choking her out indeed she didn't submit her she choked her out um in the final round after trying and failing so many times to get the takedown she finally landed it in the last two minutes of the round i think and managed to manage to choke her out incredible performance incredible feel-good story if i'm the ufc i book this fight as soon as possible i think you get on the phone to amanda and say you're running out of contenders here this is the biggest name opponent that you could possibly face Let's book this for the back the the back end of this year. Let's book it for October time, November time, maybe, or maybe even hold over to December, the big end of year card. You know, we know that fans are coming back. You could do a big T-Mobile event in December, put it on there, um, main event, co-main event on a multi-title fight card. Um, that would be what I would do. Um, but I think the Holly fight has to happen at some point. But I just think if you're the UFC. Don't take the risk of losing the rematch. Book the rematch now. That's what I would do. Yeah, good shout. And again, like I said, from a promotional standpoint, that is probably what they should do, just to have another big money fight set up for Amanda Nunes. And, you know, like, like I said before, I, I think this is going to come down to what Misha Tate wants to do next. If she feels as though she's ready to fight for title next, I think in all likelihood they'll make the title fight against Amanda Nunes next for her. But if she feels as though, you know what, I need to just be in a fight that's going to test me and push me and be a little bit more competitive than Marion Renau. And let's you know, tip the hat to Marion Renau. She has retired, Simon, after the fight. She bowed out, took off her gloves, left him in the octagon. You know, for someone that started her career, what, 36? Incredible run she had. She made it into the UFC bows out at the age of 44 and she had never been finished until she stepped into the cage with Misha Tate. But man, I'm telling you outside of the main event, outside of Islam Makachev doing what he did, Misha Tate coming back, being victorious on Saturday night was a the story coming out of this year, this past weekend's UFC event. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, probably the outstanding performance uh, on a night full of finishes. I mean, we, you know, we alluded to it earlier, your job, in, in, in part at least, is to clip out the, the highlights and get them out onto social media. Now, you, you were a busy boy Saturday night, mate, because you just take a, look at the, uh, take a look at the main card. Every single fight produced a finish. And uh, thankfully, they weren't, they weren't back to back to back in terms of first round finish, first round finish. You had a bit of breathing room, thankfully, in order to get them all done. But um, it was a crazy night. So... Let's just run through. We talked about Misha Tate. Obviously, I'm sure that that did really well on 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 the social. Um, the main event is Makachev versus Tiago Moises. 
not a stellar matchup on paper. You know, it's not a matchup that's going to get people galloping to the uh, the sofa to sit and watch because Makachev is not yet an A-lister in terms of star power in the UFC. Thiago Moises is a very strong, uh, well-respected uh, fringe contender at 155 pounds, but he's not considered to be one of the real elite at 55. So how Makachev fared in this fight was a real... Uh, this was really an acid test for him. Um, how would he look against Thiago Moises? Would he get the finish? Would he look dominant? And has he done enough to make that jump to take on the really, really big names in the division? And you take a look at his performance, and was it spectacular? Not really. But was it dominant? Yes, it was. I mean, he won every round on the scorecard. Um, on, well, he won every round on all three scorecards. Um, en route to that fourth round rear naked choke finish of Moises. Um, it was a dominant performance, but did it scream, I am the best lightweight in the world, as Daniel Cormier called him leading into leading into fight night? What did you how do you how do you gauge that performance in the overall landscape of the UFC 155 pound division, Sandy? Well, yeah, it's not just DC, it's been Khabib as well putting him over. Yeah. Obviously, there are his teammates, Khabib was in his corner. Uh, shouts to Khabib, who's undefeated as a coach in 2021. He may end the year as coach of the year, depending on how results and other things go. But, man, is that Makachev is supposed to be Khabib 2.0 in this lightweight division, right? But uh, but you have to remember, and, and you know, Islam said this in his uh, post-fight press conference. This was the first time he'd been into a fourth-round period. He hasn't had five-round fights many times he's always been booked in three round fights right so this is the first five round five, you know five rounder that he's been booked in goes into the fourth round it, i think it helped him the fact that it was in the apex he was able to hear the instructions from his corner really really well you could see from the fight as he was in certain situations and positions he was looking over to his corner for some advice in terms of what to do next but i think it will be a massive confidence booster in terms of getting the finish and you know, now he can start to prepare for more five rounders. And I think, you know, is he ready to fight for a championship? No. And I think everyone universally would agree to that. But is he now ready to take a step up in competition to that midfield pack of the top 10 in the lightweight division? I would say yes. And let's let's talk about these names, Simon, because he called out Rafael Dos Anjos in his post-fight interview essentially said, you know what, I'll give you three or four months, get ready and let's do this thing. So that's name number one, Rafael Dos Anjos. In his post-fight segment with ESPN, Michael Chandler was on the desk and they had a little back and forth. And Islam was well up for fighting Michael Chandler next. And obviously Chandler is looking for a fight, Is doesn't have a fight booked at the moment, coming off a loss in that lightweight championship bout against Charles Oliveira. That would make a lot of sense in the world. And then you have Tony Ferguson. In his post-fight press conference with the media, the idea of fighting Tony Ferguson was brought up. And Islam said, yes, absolutely, because we have an inbuilt story there. Tony was supposed to fight Khabib numerous occasions. And so for Islam, it's like, well, okay, if you thought you could beat Khabib, fight me, because I'm supposed to be the next version of Khabib. I'm supposed to be the heir to the throne that is Khabib Nurmagomedov. Now, I think from a storyline perspective, that makes all the sense in the world. I would personally love that. That would be so juicy 
to see Khabib and Tony interacting during a fight week where Islam is going to be fighting Tony. And oh my God, that would be epic. But at the same time, when I put that out on social media, I got a lot of flack because I think a lot of people, and to be fair, me included just to a certain extent, don't want to see Tony up against someone that's going to absolutely maul him again. I feel like a lot of people want to see Tony um, take a bit of a back step in terms of competition, build him back up. So, yeah, I don't know. It's, I'm, I'm, it's a little bit hero. It's, it's, it's a tough one, you know, when it comes to Tony Ferguson. But to make my point, Simon, I think Islam Makachev has got three really good options in front of him, which are Tony Ferguson, Rafael Dos Anjos, and Michael Chandler. And I think his next fight should be against one of those chaps. Yeah, I think, you know, the good thing about this lightweight division is you are never short of options. You take a look at the names. The top ten, I mean, Dan Hooker is one one place above Makachev in the rankings. Dan Hooker came out uh, yesterday or today and basically said he had to watch that fight on fast forward. He said it was boring. He said Makachev was boring. Um, it didn't get exciting. And, uh, you know, basically just kind of, kind of took a bit of a swipe at him. That's a potential matchup. It's a step forward for Makachev. That's a potential matchup. McGregor is ranked seventh. He's off the table, obviously. RDA, I think, is a very sensible call out because not many people go around calling out RDA. You know, he's he's super good everywhere. You know, he's tough. He's he's got excellent submissions. He's got cardio for days. He can bang. He's got a little bit of everything. So that would be a really good test if you're if you're a matchmaker for the UFC and you want Islam Makachev to prove that he's world championship caliber. Rafael Dosanos is probably the ideal guy to put him in there with because Dosanos has been there, seen it, done it, got the t-shirt. He's been there, he's been to the mountaintop and won the belt. So I think that would be the from a from a, a building a fighter point of view, I think that is the best the best matchup. From a storyline point of view, it's Tony Ferguson all day. All day. Um the question is how will Tony Ferguson react to that? If he bites on that um and 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 starts going big on social media about taking on makachev that's such an easy booking to make and it's one that the fans yeah i understand that some of the fans will want tony to take a bit of a back step but tony ferguson's ranked fifth in the world still um he's got to protect that ranking there's no point in fighting somebody ranked between 10 and 15 that's not going to help him at all so he's had a bit of time away maybe a fight with makachev might be the way forward for him. Who knows? Who knows? But the other name I wanted to throw in the mix as well was the guy currently ranked number three, who is also someone who probably shares quite a lot with Makachev. He's not a, a name that too many people are calling out. Benil Dariush. And Benil Dariush is, is, is legit on the mat. You know, he's he's a superb jiu-jitsu player. He's got, he's got excellent submissions. He's heavy-handed. And I think that would be a real test for Makachev as well. And if you're looking at it from a ranking point of view, if you're Makachev's management, you take a look at it and go, okay, I think they're I think they're managed by uh, the, the, they're all managed by uh, Ali Abdelaziz. So how that dynamic would go? But if you look at it purely from a ranking standpoint, he's the highest ranked guy that you could maybe reach right now. Um, why not? Why not shoot for the number three spot? But with them being stable mates within uh, dominance MMA, I don't quite know how all that works. I know in the past, I think Ali has said that when it gets to the, the really big fights at the top, it's a case of 
you know, you guys got to do what you got to do. Um, that might not need to be necessary right now, but from a stylistic point of view, that's a matchup that I would be very interested in seeing. But I tend to think that the RDA fight is the one that just makes the most sense uh, moving forward. But whoever he gets next, it's going to be a big fight. And if he wins that, whether it be Tony Ferguson, whether it be RDA, whoever it might be, he's then probably one win away from possibly getting himself a shot at the title. And that's that's really the aim in a game if you're if you're Islam Makachev right now. He's been going all these years with people not wanting to fight him. If he wins his next fight, people are going to have to fight him. And that's going to be the difference, I think. It's, it's kind of funny. It's almost He's almost in a situation very similar to Khabib where... Khabib got to a point where it was undeniable. You had to give him an opportunity to fight for a title, regardless yeah. of how things went uh, in terms of his performances and results and things like that, right? So Islam Makhachev right now is doing the most important thing, Simon. He's winning fights. He's winning fights, and he's also in a run now where he's finishing fights. Yeah, people love seeing things done nice and early, first-round finishes and all the rest of it. But listen, you know, true MMA fans can appreciate you know, someone grinding away and really putting it on their opponent, wearing them down. And at the end of the day, very much similar to Misha Tate. You know, she got the finish late in the third. Islam Makhachev got the finish late in the fourth. A finish is a finish. And I think when you've got the the likes of Khabib Nurmagomedov in your, in your corner, you know, he obviously brings a lot in terms of media attention. He brings a lot in terms of a spotlight he's putting you over. Daniel Cormier is putting you over. The promotion now are clearly behind you because they've given you a main event slot. So the future looks bright for, for Islam Makachev. Yeah, absolutely. And another 155-pounder who looks like he's got a bright future is Poland's Mateusz Gamrot, former KFC KFC champion, former KFC champion, former KSW champion. He might like fried chicken as well. But um, former KSW champion came into the UFC and uh, he's starting to make some make some waves at 55. He took on Jeremy Stevens, of course, long-time featherweight contender, moved up to 55. I was really interested to see how this would go because Stevens can bang. He can really bang. And uh, I was looking forward to seeing how Gamrot would deal with that. And Gamrot just took him down, locked up a Kimura, 65 seconds, job done. I mean, how impressive was that? I mean... You go in there with a notable name like Jeremy Stevens. You finish him that quickly. That man needs a big name at 155. And granted, Stevens isn't in the uh, the UFC lightweight rankings, but this is almost like beating a ranked fighter if you're Gamrot. I think he needs to be facing top 10, top 15 opposition next time he gets in the cage. I'm I'm very excited for just how far he can go because he's another one of these guys. He's striking. He's striking's okay. But his grappling is really, really good. And, uh, you know, to be able to dominate Stevens and to finish him as quickly as that was was super impressive. The crazy thing about Mateus Gamrot, Simon, you look at his record. He's 19-1 and one with one no contest. The, the no contest came in a bout against Norman Park, which is a rematch, and it was due to an accidental eye poke, right? So that's on his record. A split decision loss to Guram Kutaladze in Abu Dhabi last October, which could have gone either way. Yeah, I remember that you, fight well. Yeah. Outside of that, Simon, he's won all of his fights. 
And then you look at the method of how he wins. Six knockouts, five submissions, and eight decisions. Talk about someone that's an all-rounder. He can knock you out, he can submit you, and he can overwhelm you over the course of the duration of the fight. He is a serious problem in the UFC lightweight division. And I tell you what, I loved his energy post-fight. Like, immediately after the fight ended, he was just screaming and roaring. And then his post-fight interview, he basically just made a statement by saying, listen, I'm here. I'm here to fight the best. I'm going to be a champion. And, mate, that was, that was like, fantastic. Like, Mateusz Gamrot, you know, another fighter from Poland who's making some waves. And listen, you know, the road has been paved with champions coming from Poland. Jana Janjacek, Jan Blachowicz. Poland is producing some absolute killers. And it's a credit to KSW, a gigantic promotion in Poland that's been able to, much like Cage Warriors in the UK and Ireland, really produce talent and nurture them and give them the, 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 the reps and give them the bouts and, you know, let them have the experience of, you know, answering to a pretty robust media and then performing in front of some pretty epic crowds so that when they do come into the UFC, they're very much used to it. And also, most of these Polish fighters, they speak English really, really well. And it, and it just helps them when they're you know, having to answer questions in front of uh, largely English-based media in the US. So all-round fantastic performance from Gamrot. And man, he is someone to keep an eye on. And, and I agree, Simon, by the way. Um, perhaps not top 10, but absolutely, most definitely, someone between 10 and 15, that's, that's someone who should, he should be fighting next and then hopefully he can uh, push on from there. Yeah, and I, I don't want it to go sort of understated. Coming through KSW, it, it is such a, it's such a good grounding for the UFC in regards of their events are spectacles, they're big arena shows. I mean, if you look look at the biggest stadium shows uh, that you've ever seen in MMA, the biggest one, I think, is, is KSW. I think it's KSW Coliseum. I think that might be the biggest, um, which was, I think, almost 80,000 people. It's absolutely insane. They host... I mean, if you've never seen a KSW show, once we've got all the fans fully back, make sure you 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 check them out because... Their shows are absolutely fantastic. You know the the, the staging, the lighting, the the fighter intros, everything about it is absolutely top draw. The production value is absolutely top draw as well. But and what it does, if you've got talent, obviously the talent has to be there. But if you come out of KSW and you've got the talent, moving over to the UFC. Okay, yes, it's a different three letters, but you've been on a big stage already. You've competed in arenas with 5, 10, 15, 20,000 people, and you've, you've dealt with that pressure. So I think if, you're, if, you've, if you've got the skill and the talent to progress through KSW and earn your shot in the UFC, you've had a really solid grounding in terms of being able to compete under the bright lights. And uh, Gamera, I think, is someone who really deserves to be given the opportunity to make a run at 155 pounds super super talented fighter and uh someone i am i'm very very excited to see uh making his way up that division it's uh just just quickly round out the other the other key results on the card sandu two more finishes uh at the start of the main card there rodolfo vieira submitting dustin stoltfus 
and BQ, Billy Quarantillo, TKO in Gabriel Benitez in the, both those uh, finishes were third round finishes. But uh, yeah, kept, kept your clipping finger busy during the course of uh, Fight Night Sandu. Who stood out? I mean, if you take those top three fights, the Makachev, Tate and Gamrot off the table, who else stood out for you in terms of whether it be social reaction or just the quality of their performance? Mate, Billy Quarantillo, what a fantastic performance. I mean, first of all, credit to Gabriel Benitez. The two of them went back and forth and just put on what ultimately became the fight of the night. So they got a nice little bonus there. But, you know, Quarantillo finishing Benitez in the third round, doing the old Sugar Sean O'Malley fadeaway, you know, basketball celebration, and then great post-fight interview. Just really overall impressed with Billy Q and, Again, someone to keep an eye on, and on a, on a on a card. As I think think back to it here on a Monday, he is just one of those guys that stuck out to me as someone that really put on a fantastic performance and was memorable, not just for his performance, but also his overall um, demeanor in his post fight interview. Yeah, and this is a guy who was on the Ultimate Fighter back in 2015, got eliminated in that particular season by England's own Saul Rogers um during the uh, during the season obviously those fights don't count towards your professional record they're technically uh, exhibition fights uh but he lost to, to Saul Rogers which kind of denied him his chance to make it to the latter stages and then maybe earn his way onto a UFC card so he's had to he's had to kind of earn his way in and uh, he did that through the contender series back in 2019 got himself a good TKO finish then and uh, he's gone four and one in the UFC. Um, he's only he's only he's only lost was a decision to uh, to the very talented Gavin Tucker at UFC 256. But he's got a knockout of Carl Nelson. He's got a TKO of Gabriel Benitez. He's got a submission of Jacob Kilburn. Um, he's he's someone to watch. He's someone to watch. And if you're in the cage with Billy Q and it's round three, keep your wits about you because that's when he gets the job done. He seems to get all his finishes in the UFC. In uh, in round three, other than his debut uh, was was the second round finish, but since then it's been round three all the way for Billy Q. And uh, yeah, a nice little bonus for him uh, with the fight of the night. That was an absolute banger of a contest. Uh, the bonuses while we're here: Billy Q and Gabriel Benitez got fight of the night. Misha Tate, Rodolfo Vieira, Matthias Gamrot, and uh, first fight of the night. Always good to see first fight of the night getting a bonus. Rodrigo Nascimento, uh, he also picked up. Uh, a $50,000 performance of the night bonus. So, yeah, all in all, it was, as you said at the start, Sandu, sometimes these events, you look at them on paper and, you know, you aren't maybe as as, as inspired as you were before you sat down to watch uh, Conor McGregor and Dustin Poirier. But that fight night delivered. It was an absolute banger. And, uh, yeah, on to the next. It's uh, it's going to be, if, if every fight night at the Apex is like that, then uh, Dana White and the UFC matchmakers are going to be absolutely delighted. I thought that was su a superb night's entertainment. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Um, I thought the pacing was great. Um, I thought the fight is obviously delivered. 8 out of 10, like we've mentioned, finished the fight. And most importantly, storylines coming in, Simon. Storylines coming out. If we're not talking about prospects and if we're not talking about you know potential matchups and you know, post-fight interviews, stories and narratives, then what's the point? You know, it's just a couple of people fighting in a cage on a Saturday night. So, you know, really, you know, good job to everybody involved then. Kudos to the fighters. Like I said, I think that the two biggest stories coming out of this weekend, obviously, you know, 
is Islam Makachev Khabib 2.0? Is he going to be the guy that's going to, you know, be the heir to the throne that is Khabib Nurmagomedov? That's the story. And at, at the very least, everyone's actually talking about it or debating it. And, you know, we're talking about, all right, okay, not yet. We need to see him fight better competition. That's story number one. Story number two is the comeback of Misha Cupcake Tate. And who should, should she fight next? Should it be for the championship right away? Or should she go and fight someone like Holly Holm? Those are great stories to talk about. That's fun. That's what we like like the sport, right? So, yeah, just an all-around great card. And and also, we were talking about um, fans being back for, for other sports. In the Apex, Simon... They've got fans there. Now, it's not thousands and thousands of fans, but I think it's just enough to make a good racket, and, you know, create a little bit of, bit of atmosphere, you know? So things are obviously open in Vegas, and there's a Dana White video that came out late last week basically saying that they're going to allow fans into the Apex now. So they've kind of, um, I guess, constructed a few um, benches or a bit of a seating area, kind of rejigged uh, the look of the Apex. But, hey, listen... Until they can go to, you know, arenas with these fight night cards that obviously don't have the big mass appeal and the big draw of a pay-per-view, which has title fights and some of the marquee fighters. If they're going to continue to run events for the most part in the Apex for the remainder of 2021, you know, with the exception of, fingers crossed, a UFC card in London, then, you know, having, you know, a couple of hundred fans in there makes all the difference. Yeah, yeah, I mean... I'm sure that they they had no idea that a pandemic was coming when they started building the Apex. But my goodness me, that thing has more than paid for itself in terms of its contribution to to the UFC's business over the course of the last the last eighteen months or so. It's been um, it's been incredible. It really has. It's more than just a uh, a helpful facility from which you can produce TV shows and run the Ultimate Fighter. It's become it's become the home of the UFC fight night right now. And uh, I know um, our friend and colleague, John Morgan from MMA Junkie asked Dana said, have you ever considered just keeping the fight nights here? It's going so well. Um, but the thing that Dana said is that the UFC as a business and MMA as a sport is all about the fans and the fan reaction and the atmosphere in an arena. So despite the fact they've had the success they've had, Fear not, the UFC are not just going to shut the doors down on fight nights. They are going to, they are going to start taking the show on the road again once things start opening up again. And fingers crossed, we might just see a UFC show here in the not too distant future in the UK. September the fourth, I think, was the most recent suggestion. So uh, we'll see, we'll see how things go. Um, I know the UFC won't announce anything until they know everything's absolutely nailed on. But uh, I'd put a. Just put a mark in your diary for September the fourth. That seems to be uh, that seems to be the most likely thing. Speaking of September, Sandu, um, International Fight Week is back. It's actually happening. They're doing one this year. Normally, it's this sort of time of year. Normally, it's uh, it's normally the first week or the second weekend in in July. Um, obviously, things have been uh, somewhat different over the last couple of years. So we didn't have one last year. Um, we had some sort of fight week in uh, in Abu Dhabi where they kind of had some fans in and wasn't a full international fight week though but we're going to have one this September and UFC 266 which takes place on September 25th will be the showpiece event 
of UFC International Fight Week 2021. So um, for those of you who have the ability to travel, uh, are all uh, vaccinated up and are able to provide all the all the relevant paperwork and proof that you're you're all good to go. You could end up heading over to Vegas and checking out an international fight week. I did not think we would get one this year. Um, my, my my plan is to get to international fight week every year. This one might have come a little bit too early. I don't know. I suspect we'll be back in July next year. But it's great that they've actually managed to to uh, to squeeze one in. And uh, end of September, international fight week is back. Sandu, great news. Yeah, that came as a bit of a shock and surprise when that was announced on the broadcast, but. It also makes sense, right? Because it's going to be in Vegas. Vegas is open. They've just ran the T-Mobile Arena there. September is like not, it's not July. It's not August. It's not the middle of summer. Um, but it's actually a pretty nice month to go to Vegas. September, October is always my favorite months uh, to be out there in Vegas. The temperature's just, you know, still hot, still sunny, but just not as hot as, uh, as July and August, where it's kind of a bit more like scorched earth. Um, <laughs> And, and obviously, outside of all the fan festivities, I think it's also an opportunity for them to run the uh, the UFC Hall of Fame. Um, and so that'll be fun. And I, and I think this is what the UFC is all about, is, right? The fans are back. Let's give the fans what they want. Let's put on these events. Um, you know, that, that week's going to be, you know, the, the week's going to end with a pay-per-view. You know, sometimes in the past, they've, they've sandwiched in a fight night card. Who knows? Maybe they'll do one in the Apex earlier in the week. If not, maybe a contender series, something like that. So that should be a good, fun week. And this is all part of getting back to normalcy for the UFC. And so whilst this year's, you know, International Fight Week, you know, will take place in September, I'm sure for 2022, it'll be back in its uh, usual spot uh, around that July 4th card. I would imagine so. And if you've never done an international fight week before i highly recommend it there's loads of fan activation events that go on uh it's a great it's a great experience uh if you're a fan of mixed martial arts i remember the first couple of times i went they had two or three events in a week which as a media member is absolutely nuts but loads going on for the fans there's always uh partnership deals going on with some of the bars and restaurants and stuff there's always a real buzz in town when international fight week is there and um it's uh, it's good to see things like that beginning to come back on stream. So, uh, yeah, looking forward to that and uh, hopefully to getting back over there. Um, if not this year, definitely, definitely next year. So, uh, yeah, before we kick on, Sandu, and uh, throw forward to the UFC event that's happening this weekend, uh, we had a bit of an update during the week from, from uh, a certain Irishman who uh, picked up a nasty injury last time we saw him. Already to recovery, so we understand. Yeah, so he's had surgery, what, three hours is, is uh, how long the surgery lasted. And he's got a metal rod now that is going from his knee down to his ankle. He's on the road to recovery, Simon. And I think there's a lot of different ways you can take this, right? There was obviously a lot of nastiness um, that came out of his uh, immediate post-fight interview with Joe Rogan and some other bits and pieces on social media. He's not really giving Dustin Poirier the credit for the win. That's just his mindset, his mentality. The biggest takeaway for me, though, was just his his overall general demeanor and spirit as he was going around on this little scooter in L.A., getting some fresh air, you know, dropping this selfie video that lasted around, what, five, six minutes. He said he feels like Arnold Schwarzenegger from Terminator 2, the bionic man. Um, and, you know, I don't know, I don't know the, the, the 
the validity to these claims, but and, and how surgeries kind of typically work when you have metal plates or titanium rods inserted to help um, you know, stabilize uh, a bone and, and bring it back to, to full strength. But he, according to Conor McGregor, he said that the doctors told him his leg is now unbreakable. And listen, I don't know if that's true or not, but it looks like, you know, from some of the behind the scenes pictures that he had shared in the lead up to the Poirier trilogy fight, it looks like the left leg slash ankle was being iced on a lot. And he was already going through a lot of rehab, getting through this camp. So, you know, if this was a surgery that was a long time coming and if moving forward, once he gets through his rehab phase and is able to build up the, the mental confidence to stand on it, walk on it, run on it, kick with it. And if that long term means that it'll allow him to, I guess, perform at 100 percent again without anything at the back of his mind, giving him any you know, you know, pause for caution with regards to, you know, his leg snapping again, then I'm all for it. It doesn't look like, I mean, listen, we'd love to see Conor McGregor fight again. It just doesn't seem as though that's going to happen anytime soon, though. So 2022 is what I think is uh, the safest bet. We're going to see Conor McGregor back in the octagon. But I will say, Simon, I am absolutely here for the story and the narrative that is Conor McGregor coming back from a potentially career-ending surgery. And if he's continuing to post updates via his social media pictures and videos, I think that'll be a fun story. And I think if he does come back, whether it's Diaz, Poirier, Ford, whatever the case may be, just that alone, McGregor coming back from an ankle snap or a leg snap and going through surgery coming back for the fans, coming back to fight one more time, that would maybe sell even better than the Poirier trilogy did in the first place. So um, interesting stuff from Conor McGregor. And obviously, he's not going going away anytime soon. He's still very much going to be involved in the fight game. And this is just another wrinkle to the tale of the notorious one. Yeah, I'm, I'm expecting to see some sort of Rocky, Rocky montage uh, music and... You know, McGregor sort of working away in the gym and all the rest of it. It's, I mean, I've I've covered lots of different sports over the course of my career, and those sorts of injuries where you got a broken leg and the and the rod it normally gets inserted. Imagine the bone at the top of your leg. I'm doing this on a video, so Sandy can see what I'm doing. But uh, the sort of flat bit at the top of your top of your shin bone, they drill down the middle of it, and it goes straight straight down all the way down, um, and uh, that titanium rod isn't going to break anytime soon. Now the bone around it can still break. Let's be honest with that. That that could still break. Um, and obviously the thickness of the bone around the rod is obviously thinner than the thickness of the entire bone, obviously because you've got a rod through the middle of it. So yeah, he could still break the bone in his leg, but I think the structural integrity of that is probably going to be more sound now. Um, but it's... Um, and I've seen motorcycle racers have this sort of injury have a have the pin put in as they call it and be on a bike like three two weeks later three weeks later and racing which is mad but of course that's fine unless they fall off right they're not throwing that leg somewhere in order to do damage or they're not being kicked in that leg so 
for someone like it's going to be a much lengthier layoff than say a MotoGP racer who breaks his leg um, just because of the way that you use the leg in, 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 in your given sport. So I just hope that I just hope that he, he doesn't rush his way back. I hope he gets himself fully fit, gets himself fully confident. As, as you say, it's not just about throwing the, throwing the leg kicks. It's being able to take the leg kicks and be confident that, okay, if you get whacked on that leg, you're going to be okay. Um, it's not going to, I mean, I, I can only imagine the pain of having having a leg break like that. I mean, we've seen a few of them in in the octagon now. Unfortunately, we've seen obviously Anderson Silva, we've seen Chris Weidman, and now we've seen Conor McGregor. And you know, these are these these are three of the best fighters on the planet. All three of them incredibly tough, not just physically but mentally. And all three of them were distraught uh, in terms of the pain that they were going through. So that gives you an idea of just how how painful it is. Um, the memory of that is going to be hard to shake, I would imagine, as well. So getting to the point where you're not worried about that, you know, you're not worried about that happening again. If you can get to that point and you're all healed up, you're good to go. So, um, yeah, I'm not a fan of some of the stuff that he said in the in the aftermath of the fight, but I want to see him back healthy. I want to see him back in the cage again, and I want to see him competing and doing what he does best because that's what entertains the fans out there. And uh, as, as we've said before, Conor McGregor, when he's on when he's on his game and he's in he's in his pomp, the sport is at its absolute peak. And I think imagine the long run up to facing Nate Diaz in a trilogy fight. I mean this is this is perfect, isn't it? This is movie stuff now. The the journey back from injury, the unresolved trilogy with the guy who handed you your first defeat inside the UFC. Um you've got the storyline, you've got the you've got the sound bites, everything is there. Um, and uh, that's what I think would be the perfect, perfect thing for him to come back to. But we will see. Plenty of time for all that to be uh, decided and determined. But um, yeah, we wish Connor well on his uh, his journey back from a really, really nasty injury. But uh, yeah, the sport rolls on, Sandu, and we've got UFC on uh, ESPN 27 this weekend and a huge fight in the UFC bantamweight division. Former champion TJ Dillashaw is returning from his USADA suspension for EPO. And he's going in there with a man who, if he beats him, is probably going to be fighting for a belt next. Corey Sanhagen. This is an absolutely brilliant matchup at 135 pounds. And the big question is, how will TJ Dillashaw look in his first fight back? It's, it's fascinating to see because we don't know how long uh he was using epo um so we don't know how to judge the performances leading into his you know leading into his suspension prior to his suspension sandu i had dillashaw as a top three pound for pound fighter in 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 the world i thought he was that good that obviously is is seen completely differently by me now given that he tested positive for a blood boosting drug like epo so um, I'm fascinated to see how this one goes with Corey Sanhagen, who is legit. Where does the time go, Simon? TJ Dillashaw is competing after a two and a half year layoff. January of 2019 was the last time he fought, and I was at that card in Brooklyn. It was one of the uh, one of the very first cards uh, under the the ESPN broadcast partnership. And so to see him now, two and a half years later, and like you said, Simon, 
He's off the juice, hopefully. <laughs> hopefully he doesn't get caught again. Otherwise, that's definitely going to be it for him and his career. But more than that, it's like, you know, some fighters believe in it. Some fighters don't. I don't know. But is cage rust slash ring rust a real thing? We'll see. And the thing is, he's not coming back and fighting, you know, some scrub. He is fighting Corey Sandhagen, who is the man in form. He's never looked better. He's in his prime. He's peaking right now. He's 29 years of age. He is looking to make a statement. He's looking to fight for the title next. And to be honest with you, had the Aljamain Sterling-Peter Yan fight not been so controversial in terms of how that ended, he may have already fought for the title by now. Yeah. I think this is a good look for Corey Sanhagen. He's getting a former champion, a big name, a controversial figure in that weight class and maybe even just in general in that UFC roster. This is arguably one of the best main events, one of the best fights not part of a UFC pay-per-view. And we're getting it as a part of the fight night card. It's it's going to close the show. Man, it would be interesting to see what this um, fight would have uh, looked like if it was in front of fans and what kind of reaction Tia Dillashaw would have got in front of 10, 15,000 people. But not the case to be. It's going to be at the apex and I'm really happy for Corey Sandhagen to get this opportunity. He is, like I said, the man in form. He's beaten Marlon Moraes and Frankie Edgar, both by devastating knockouts. And he's now fighting TJ Dillashaw, a former champion. And I'm still... I was thinking about this earlier in the week, like, you know, which way am I swaying? I think I'm going to stick to my gut feeling here and, and stick with Corey Sandhagen. I just feel like TJ Dillashaw, his, his age... The fact that he needed EPO to compete at that level before, the fact that he's been away from the game for two and a half years, and given the level of opponent he's coming back for, not to mention just mentally, you're having to deal with the questions and fight week. Okay, you know, he saved the, from the fans. He doesn't have to deal with any fan reaction on fight night. But this is a bit of a make or break situation for TJ Dillashaw. You come back and you lose, and then you're you know, quite a ways away from getting a, into a situation where you're going to fight for a title. Massive, massive stakes in this weekend's UFC main event. I'm absolutely buzzing for it. I can't wait, Simon. Yeah, and in terms of the stakes, it's more than that because if TJ Dillashaw comes back and gets smoked by Corey Sanhagen, that then casts a massive question mark over his previous wins at Bantamweight. Um, you know, was he was he on that stuff? during his run at the top of the bantamweight division. Obviously, he got popped after he dropped down to flyweight and unsuccessfully challenged um, for the for you know for the 125-pound title against Henry Cejudo. But was he on the stuff when he was at 135? And if he turns up and gets absolutely, absolutely smashed by Corey Sanhagen, who is more than capable of doing it, you just have to look at Look at the man's recent record. You don't, people don't get, people do not finish Frankie Edgar in 28 seconds. That doesn't happen. Corey Sanhagen did it. Marlon Moraes is a dangerous, dangerous man who's been ranked right at the sharp end of the division for a good few years. Former World Series fighting champion. He gets smoked by Corey Sanhagen. You know, he's he's been in there with he's been in there with some killers and he, he's putting them away. Two performances of the nights as well in those last two fights as well. If he then goes and does that to TJ Dillashaw, that's a big, big question mark over the legit over the legitimacy of TJ Dillashaw's four fight bantamweight run. Um 
in uh, between 2016 and 2018. So, um, you know, as well as his, his current career trajectory, it also will cast out over his, uh, his, his previous wins as well. So, uh, yeah, very interesting to see how this goes. Um, being out for a long time, some people find it hard to come back. Misha Tate didn't. Misha Tate came back and looked absolutely brilliant after four and a half years away. So I guess if you're looking for a template or someone to talk to about uh, making that sort of uh, that sort of return, then uh, Misha's the person to talk to, I guess, because she just she's just gone and proved it. So, but yeah, I'm fascinated to see this. TJ Dillashaw at his best is one of the best fighters on the planet at any weight class. The question now is, was it because he was artificially enhanced, or was he uh, was he a world class fighter without that stuff. We will find out on Saturday night in the main event. It's going to be an absolutely cracking matchup. Important matchup in the co main event as well. Women's bantamweight division. We mentioned earlier that they're running a bit dry of contenders, and that's why Misha could potentially jump all the way to the front of the queue. Uh, Aspen Ladd is someone who has been uh, earmarked for you know, potential stardom in, in the division for a while. Um, she had some problem making. She seems to be over all of that now. She's taking on Macy uh, Chasson in the co-main event. If Aspen wins that, she could be right in the mix, Sandu, at £135. Aspen's not much of a trash talker, though, so I can't see her necessarily talking her way uh, to the front of the queue. But her performances, when she wins, she's pretty dominant. So she can do that again against Macy, who's generally a pretty uh, dominant athlete herself. And that'll be a big statement in the division for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Nine wins, six by knockout. Um, she can make a statement this weekend. Honestly, if I'm Macy, uh, if I'm a uh, Aspen lad, I might even think about calling out Misha Tate. You know, if I win on Saturday night, and if the the Amanda Nunes fight perhaps isn't looking likely next, and you know that Misha Tate is there thereabouts, I would be making a massive statement in my post fight interview. I'd be saying, hey, Misha Tate, welcome back, but you're not skipping the line. I'm ahead of you. If I'm not buying a Manny Nunes next, then come see me. You know, I'm, I'm doing something like that, but I just don't know if he's got it in her uh, and if that's part of her personality. But that would be the mindset anyway. 100% I agree with you. She wins this weekend, Simon. It should either be fighting for the title next against Amanda Nunes, or I think she should be aiming for a fight against Misha Tate. Very much similar in, in a weird way to Corey Sandhagen who has already done enough to fight for the title but because of circumstances is now fighting Tia Dillashaw former champion big name in the division big name for most casual UFC fans so that'll be an interesting co-main event situation as well yeah yeah I think there's this is one of those fight cards again you can kind of throw back to the fight card we just saw at the weekend there's a lot of names on here that would be familiar if you're a hardcore fan if you're someone who really just sort of pitches up for the really big shows there's names here that you might not necessarily know but there's some really good matchups on this card the bantamweight bout between carter phillips and uh rally and Piva should be a cracker phillips is on a four fight win streak Piva's on a two fight win streak both of them are really entertaining fighters at the weight that should be a cracker you've got darren elkins who's been going for what seems like forever against Derek Minna, who is a submission machine. That will be a really good fight. 
And at flyweight, we've got a brilliant piece of matchmaking. I'm really looking forward to this one, Sandu. Miranda Maverick against Macy Barber. Two fighters who've worked their way into the UFC. Both of them have their eyes on the top. And uh, I think this is a real acid test. Whoever wins that one, I think is going to find themselves in there with a contender next time out. I'm really looking forward to that one in particular. Yeah, me too. That's the other fight I've got earmarked as a... as something I'm really looking forward to. Macy Barber was touted as supposed to being the future, and she was going to be the next big thing and become the the youngest champion in UFC history and all the rest of it. Well, her last two performances have not gone well. She obviously lost to Roxanne Modafferi, which many people thought was a bit of a, a layup for her to win. Didn't go her way whatsoever, and then she got pretty um, robustly uh, beat by Alexa Grasso. Um, in her fight February uh, of this year. So, I mean, the pressure is on, man. I mean, there's only so many times you can come out and say you're the, you're the future, you're going to be future champion. Ultimately, you have to start to prove it, and that starts with results, and it starts by winning fights. And, man, the UFC have done no favor, Simon, because Miranda Maverick, talk about someone who's in form, a five-fight win streak, and the last few have been in the UFC. So that's a very interesting fight a part of that main card. I'm, I can't wait for that one. Yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be, a, it's one of these fight nights that again, it's kind of sneaky good. I mean, do not sleep on these prelims, by the way. I'm just looking at these prelims and there's, there's some fights that just leap off the page to me. The second fight of the night, Sandy, Sejara Eubanks against Elise Reed, who is making a UFC debut. Now, Elise Reed uh, is a former Cage Fury fighting championships, uh, flyweight champion. Um, she she uh, won the belt as an underdog um, and uh, defended it, I think, twice. And she is as tough as they come. And now she's got her chance in the UFC against an absolute tank in Sajara Eubanks. That's going to be a real knockdown, drag-out fight. Look out, too, for Randy Costa versus Adrian Yanez. Anybody who follows these two fighters on social media will know that they have been campaigning for this fight for months. It's just a stylistic matchup. It's not that they don't get along. They get along really well, at least it appears so on social media. Um, they've almost been teaming up on social media to try and generate some buzz and some interest in this fight. And they've got me interested. I'm really looking forward to this. Adrian Yanez is on a six-fight win streak. Randy Costa is absolutely flying as well. He's won his last two by first-round knockout. Um, it's going to be an absolute banger. Do not miss. If, if you tune in for the prelims for one fight, make that the fight, because I think that is going to be an absolute banger. Uh, Ian Heinish is on the prelims. Chris Dawkins is on the prelims. Uh, Puna Soriano versus Brendan Allen is the featured preliminary card fight. Everywhere you look, there's really good matchmaking on this card, Sandu. I'm going to be... I'm going to be glued to the TV from start to finish on this. It's going to, it's, it's going to be a really fun night, I think. Yeah, I can't wait. It's a bit of a late start. Uh, unfortunately for the for everyone on your side of the pond, this past weekend and the following weekend, it's been a bit of the old school 3 o'clock main card start in the morning. So uh, kudos to everyone that <laughs> has uh, the Red Bull or the Monster Energy or coffee or you know, snacks and sweets, whatever it takes for you to stick around. All of the but, above, uh, Sandy. All of the above. All of the yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it should be a good card. And like I said, that main event, need my God, I mean, it doesn't get any bigger than that. It does not get any bigger than that uh, for a fight night card. So if nothing else, just stick your alarm on for like 5 a.m., wake up and watch that main event because 
like we said, Simon, that has massive ramifications for the future of this UFC bantamweight division. Yeah, should be a hell of a fight night. Really looking forward to that one. Uh, we had a we had a sneaky good fight night this past weekend. We are giving you advance warning of this weekend. This one's going to be every bit as good, if not better. So uh, uh, I suspect uh, Sandu will be on online for that one. I will be online for that one. So uh, do do make sure you are up and about. It should be an absolute cracker. That Sandu is another hour and eight minutes of of Brit Pack episode in the can. Uh, let's get out of here and uh, leave these good people to go about their lives. Yes. And with that being said, for everyone that wants to support the show, the best way of doing that is go to our website, thebritpackmma.com. From there, you can find our social handles, mine, Sandu, uh, mine Simon's, um, the Britpack handle. Uh, we're available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts. If you're listening to us on Apple, do us a favor, drop a rate and review. That really helps get found on that particular platform. And then finally, YouTube. We're available on YouTube, not on video, uh, but the audio version is still available on YouTube. We're going to be going to video soon. Um, so the best thing that you can do right now is go to our YouTube channel, subscribe. If you enjoy listening to podcasts on YouTube, on the background, uh, while you're working away on your, on your Chrome or whatever your web browser is, go ahead and do that. Uh, but yeah, that's how you can uh, support the show. Yeah, another packed show this week. A great fight night this weekend. Enjoy the fights, everybody, and we'll speak to you again next week. Mm.